Welcome to Twisted Talks. I'm Josh. I'm Tanya. And today we are going to be covering the story of the Titanic. Um, um, and also today we are recording in my car. Yes, this is Colin so, McCrawler's debut. Yes, yeah, so sorry for any traffic noises. You might hear some beeping. You know, the usual. You know, there will be no road rage in this episode. We're not driving and recording. No. We're just parked nearby my home. I do think we're probably going to get in trouble for parking here, but fuck it. No, it's fine. Fuck it. Life goes on. Anywho, Titanic. Tanya's going to spit out facts. I'm going to spit out conspiracies. (laughs) Straight facts. Straight facts. Um, So, with that said, um, I'm hoping the microphone doesn't yeet itself off the dashboard again. Again. But, um, yes, take it away, Tanya. You ready? I was born ready. No, I wasn't born. <laughs> None of us I wasn't born, born ready for this world at all. But no. I'm making what, what I have, so let's go. Okay, shut up. <laughs> shut up, Ben Bendova. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. Maybe later. Oh, um, Tanya. You're not a man. <laughs> the RMS Titanic was a British passenger liner and was operated by the White Star Line. It was built in Belfast and was the second of three Olympic class ocean liners. Very fancy. One of which literally mm. being called the Olympic. Mm-hmm. Built by the Harland and Wolf shipyard for the White Star Line. So the Harland and Wolf shipyard is in Belfast. The first uh, ship to be, to be built was the RMS Olympic and then followed by the Titanic and then followed by HMHS Britannic. So these three ships were built to replace the RMS Teutonic and the RMS Majestic and also because British cruise line Connard, I think it's pronounced, had recently launched their new ships, the Lusitania and the Mauritania. I reckon, blah, blah, blah. I don't speak English apparently. Okay. I don't speak any Same. language. But, um, bonjour. Bonjour, ça va. Ça va bien et toi? Comme ça, But what's the one beginning with L? Lusitania. I have that in my one of my conspiracies. Oh, well, not really. Nice. It's not. It's just referenced. It's not actually part of the conspiracy. Okay, right. Um, and also, yeah, so they had launched their new ships, um, which were at the time the fastest passenger ships in service. So White Star Line's chairman, J. Bruce Ismay, uh, promo- proposed that they compete on size rather than speed and said that their new ships should be larger than anything that had gone before them and should be the last word in comfort and luxury. So he was basically trying to one-up yeah, them. like if you're in comfort and luxury, you're not going to give a fuck if you're on the seas for an extra day or two. Exactly. Because it's a treat. Exactly. Um, so Harland and Wolf faced a major engineering challenge when they took this project on because no shipbuilder had ever tried to construct ships as large as the Titanic and her sister ships before this. So in order to begin construction, they actually had to demolish three of their existing slipways and build two new larger ones, which at the time... So is that, what's a slipway? Is that just where they like have the boat? Yeah. So it's where they construct it. Okay. Um... Which, where was I? You keep distracting me. (laughs) Which, at the time, were the largest slipways ever to be constructed. So they began building on Queen's Island, which is now known as the Titanic Quarter in Belfast Harbour, with the Olympic being started first and construction of the Titanic beginning on March 31st, 1909. Both ships took about 26 months each to complete. During the building... That's not too bad for the time period and the size of them. Yeah, like it was impressive. 
So during the building process, there were actually 264 injuries recorded because <laughs> health and safety. Not funny, but. Health and safety wasn't a thing. Not funny, ha ha. Funny, funny, weird. It's funny, sad. Um, so 264 injuries were recorded and of these 28 were marked as severe such as arms being oh, severed shit. by machines or legs being crushed by falling steel or things like that six people died on the ship itself during construction and fitting and another two died in the shipyard's workshops and just before the ship's launch uh, the Titanic's launch a worker died when a piece of wood fell on him because obviously the ships were so tall that's a big drop that's a big drop but, like, who dropped the wood? How did the wood just be like, yeet? Boop. Um, I don't know, it was obviously just fell off of something that it was being loaded with or something and just fell on him. Crazy girl. Crazy. The last additions to the ship were the two side and centre anchors. The centre anchor is the largest anchor to ever be forged by hand and weighed in at nearly 16 tonnes. It took 20 Clydesdale horses to haul it to the Isn't ship. Isn't that like 16 cars? Yeah, 16 An average car is like a tonne, isn't it? I think so. I don't know. You know I don't do good with measurements and shit. <laughs> I don't do good with measurements um, either. Yeah, 20 Clydesdale horses it took to haul it to the ship on like wagons and the shit. poor horses. I know. Um, so, <clears throat> My veganism is triggered. <laughs> <laughs> Titanic was launched on May 31st, 1911 in front of around 100,000 onlookers. It took 22 tons of soap and tallow to lubricate the slipway to ease the ship into the River Lagan. What's a tallow? That, I don't know. Yeah, I'm... And my brain was mush. I didn't Google it, but... It's, it's something um, I'm soapy, sure, I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm sure it's something that's, Another that used lubricant. to be used in the making of soap. like um, To ease the ship into the River Lagan, where it was then towed to a fitting outberth, where for the next year she had her engines, funnels and superstructure installed as well as having the interiors fitted, so like the cabins and all that. Um, so while Titanic was almost identical to the Olympic, mm. Bruce Ismay, who's the chairman of White Star Line, um, he requested some changes to be made. Okay. So at the last minute, um, he requested for a steel screen with sliding windows to be added to the forward half of the A-deck promenade. And as I said, this was a last minute addition to provide extra shelter for first class passengers. There were also extensive changes made to Titanic's B-deck to turn the promenade space into additional first class cabins, including two parlour suites, which had their own private promenade spaces. And this was done because the original promenade space had proved to be unpopular with passengers on the Olympic. Okay, so, so going by previous experience. Exactly, because the Olympic and the Titanic were so similar, he said, right, we're going to make these changes. But I do wonder, I'm like, why did he wait till last minute to make these changes when the Olympic had already no, been on the seas? the steel door was a last minute change. Oh, the, the rest, rest was already, no. sorry, okay. Um, so the a la carte restaurant was also made bigger and a new cafe called Cafe Parisian was added so this cafe didn't exist on the Olympic at all and the restaurant was smaller on the Olympic and these changes actually made Titanic slightly heavier than the Olympic allowing her to claim the title of the largest ship afloat and due to these changes and repairs that had to be made because the Olympic had a collision in 1911 um, in September 1911 so a warship wasn't it? I think so so repairs had to be made to the Olympic um, and as well as the changes, the completion of the Titanic took a little bit longer than expected. 
So two days before her fitting out was completed at 6 a.m. on April 2nd, 1912, Titanic sea trials began. So this was to test how she would fare on open waters. Yes. This was done eight days before the ship was due to leave for its maiden voyage. And aboard the ship were 78 stokers. So they're the people who like put the coal into the furnaces. Um, There were greasers. Don't know what the greasers do. I'm assuming like greasing to me sounds like, like, you know, oh, that needs a bit of WD-40, but whatever they had back then. (laughs) Um, And firemen and 41 crew members, as well as representatives of various companies. Um, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride served as radio operators during this and were also carrying out this job on the night that the ship sank. So they were actually the radio operators during Titanic's maiden voyage as well. Okay. Um, They were there for the full experience. The full experience. So the sea trials included tests of the Titanic's handling characteristics in both Belfast Lock and the Irish Sea. And over the course of 12 hours, she was driven at different speeds. So over the course of 12 hours, she was driven at different speeds. Her turning ability was tested and a crash stop was carried out where the engines were reversed full ahead to a stern, bringing the ship to a stop in about three minutes and 15 seconds. Um, Upon returning to Belfast at about 7pm, the ship's surveyor signed an agreement and account of voyages and crew, which is valid for 12 months, and this declared the ship as seaworthy. Um, So then all the fitting out was completed and everything was done, and an hour later, excuse me, the ship departed Belfast and travelled to Southampton, arriving at about midnight and docking to prepare for the arrival of the rest of the crew and the first of her passengers. So all in all, at the time of her maiden voyage, Titanic carried around 885 crew members and approximately 1,317 passengers. Of these passengers, 324 were in first class, 284 were in second class and 709 were in third class. Um, The Titanic was actually under capacity on her maiden voyage. Tell that to the lifeboats. mm -hmm, As the ship could actually accommodate 2,453 passengers. And how many were on it in total, did you say? Um, 1,317. Okay. So there was space for 833 people in first class, but there was only 324. You could fit 514 in second class, and there was 284, and you could fit 1,006 in third class, and there was 709 people in third class. Okay. But the reason that the ship was under capacity was because there was a national coal strike at the time, which caused disruption to the UK's shipping schedules. This meant that many passengers or would-be passengers chose to postpone their travel plans until the strike was ended. Yeah. So the strike finished... Get a, a bit few... more certainty before they get on. Exactly. So the strike finished uh, a few days before Titanic set sail and the ship was able to proceed on its intended date because coal was transferred from the RMS Oceanic, the SS City of New York, and as well as coal that the Olympic had brought back from a previous voyage that was stored at the White Star Dock in Southampton. The ship's owner, J.P. Morgan, was supposed to be on board for this voyage, but cancelled at the last minute. Um, but the White Star Line uh, chairman slash managing director, director J. Bruce Ismay, was on board, as was the ship's designer, Thomas Andrews. So he was there to um, observe any problems and assess the ship's general performance. That went well, as you that can, went really well, as you, as you probably know. That was the best decision of his life. Mm-hmm. Now it's not known exactly how many people were aboard the ship, 
as not everyone who booked a ticket actually boarded and it's known that about 50 people cancelled their trips for various reasons um, and also not everyone who boarded in Southampton completed the full journey. So some people boarded in Southampton just to go to France or yeah. to come back to Cork. Um, ticket prices varied depending on class and season. So third class fares from London, Southampton or Queenstown, which I didn't actually know is Cove. Yeah. So Cove um, is a town in Ireland in Cork and it was formerly known as Queenstown. Queenstown. <laughs> Queenstown. <laughs> anyway, so if you were buying a third class fare from London, Southampton or Queenstown slash Cove, it would cost you about £7.05, shillings, which is equivalent to about £800 today. Mm-hmm. And the cheapest first class ticket was £23, which is about £2,400 today. And then this one threw me. Me there, it's about £23 a bargain until no, you got to that part. Josh, this one threw me. Just wait. The most expensive first class fares were up to £870 in high season. Now, I couldn't find out what high season meant. I did Google Peak, it. Peak, I assume. Peak season, yeah. Guess how much that translates to today. I don't want to know. That's thousands, if not more than thousands. That's tens of thousands. £92,000 for a fucking ticket on a ship. Like, you could use that much money to put a fucking down payment on a fucking million dollar, million euro house. Yeah. I don't know why I turned American there for a second. Yeah. Well, maybe, um, you know, let's go to America. Let's get a million dollar house yeah. instead. I will be bringing dollars into it later if that helps. There we go. <laughs> Passengers began boarding the ship at 9.30am on April 10th, 1912 in Southampton. And because there were so many third-class passengers, they were allowed to board first, with first and second-class passengers following about an hour later. Okay, so back then they actually did it the other way around than we do it now. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. Third-class passengers, just the third-class passengers, mm-hmm. were checked for any ailments or impairments that would have led to them being refused entry into the US because White Star Line would have had to ferry any passengers refused back across the Atlantic. Okay. But it's okay if they have to ferry the first and second class passengers back. Of course. So, yeah. I actually don't agree with that, by the way. Just to clear, that was sarcasm. A little bit of classism there. Yeah. Um, So, a total of 920 passengers boarded in Southampton. 179 in first class, 247 in second class, and 494 in third class. So, we're tallying up as we move along our route. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the next passengers were to be picked up in Cherbourg, France, and then following that, Queenstown Cove in Ireland, and then on to New York. So the ship left Southampton at noon as scheduled, and actually had a narrow escape. So remember when I told you there were signs upon signs upon signs that this was not going to be a good journey? Does this regard cold? No. Okay. But the cold does come into it later. So... Basically, the ta- the Titanic very narrowly avoided an accident because when she passed two moored ships, which were the SS City of New York and the Oceanic, due to the Titanic's size, this caused a huge water displacement. Oh no. Which caused both of these two smaller ships to be lifted by a bulge of water and then dropped suddenly. The New York's mooring lines couldn't handle the sudden strain and snapped, causing it to swing around stern first towards Titanic. Now, luckily, a nearby tugboat called the Vulcan was able to come to the rescue and took the SS City of New York under tow. And Captain John Edward Smith ordered Titanic's engines to be put full astern. 
So the two ships actually avoided colliding by a distance of four feet. That's not even my height. Yeah. It's the height of a small child. Whoa. Like, very, very narrow And I'm like, uh, like, who pays for the damages of the ships that were yeeted off the, off the air, into the air for a minute, like? I don't know. White Star Line, I assume. Um, so, this delayed the Titanic's departure from Southampton for about an hour while the SS City of New York was brought under control. And I can imagine everyone on board complaining about the inconvenience. Yeah. Like, yeah, never mind Honey, the fact that two other... you don't know what you're in yeah, for. Yeah, just got yeeted. You're, you'd be glad of the delay. You should have departed. <laughs> So once this was done, the Titanic began on its way to Cherbourg and it arrived about four hours later. And because Cherbourg didn't have a docking facility that was large enough, large enough for a ship of Titanic size, passengers actually had to be brought to the ship by boat. By smaller boat. By smaller boat. It had a specific name, but I didn't write it down. It's like when you get the bus to the aeroplane because yeah. it's too far out. It's tarmac. too far away. <laughs> Can't walk it. Um, so... In Cherbourg, 274 passengers boarded, 142 were in first class, 30 were in second class, and 102 were in third class. And additionally, 24 passengers left the ship, as they had only booked to go as far as Cherbourg. Yeah. Um, this whole process took around 90 minutes, and at 8pm, Titanic left for Queenstown slash Cove. The weather was noted to be windy, very fine, but cold and overcast. A wee bit chilly. A wee bit chilly. At 11.30am on April 11th, Titanic reached Cork Harbour. It was noted that the weather was partly cloudy, but it was a relatively warm day um, with a brisk wind. Once again, the docking facilities were too small. Standard. Um, yeah, uh, to accommodate the ship, so passengers were brought by boat. So 123 passengers boarded in Queenstown. Three were in first class, seven were in second class, and 113 were in third class. And another seven passengers left the ship at this time. And also, unofficially... Um, well, it's it's a known fact, but he left the fish, the, the ship. <laughs> he left the fish. <laughs> Sorry. He left the ship. <laughs> he was like, there's something fishy going on here. Goodbye. <laughs> he left the ship unofficially. And this was actually a crew member. So a crew member oh. named John Coffey, who was a native of Cove, snuck off the ship unofficially um, by hiding under mail bags being brought to shore. Titanic weighed anchor for the last time at 1.30pm and left to continue the journey across the Atlantic. So the Titanic was scheduled to arrive at New York Pier 59 in the morning on April 17th. Did they have space? If... if They never made it, Josh. We, I we don't know. Look like, I wonder. <laughs> probably not. New York. Um, now you're in New York. I love how I went like Frank Sinatra and you went to Lee Schkees. Yeah. Um... So, after leaving Queenstown slash Cove, she followed the Irish coast as far as Fastnet Rock. <clears throat> and from there, she travelled across the North Atlantic Ocean to reach a spot known as the Corner. It's just called the Corner. Work there sometimes. Which was southeast of Newfoundland in Canada. Canada. Canada? Is Newfoundland? I think there's also one in, like... Um, in Massachusetts. Okay, I was going with the direction of... Um, no, not in Australia. Oh yeah, no, all right. I think I'm gonna say Canada. I'm not good at geography. Okay, you'll you'll but, learn. But you know, there's so many places that have the same names as in yeah. you know, like a lot a lot of it to do with the colonization. Whole time, but the whole time I was typing this up, I kept typing Queenstown as Queensland. <laughs> Welcome to Queenslanding. Um, that's King's Landing. Yeah, but no, hello. Don't be sexist. Okay, sorry. 
<laughs> Cersei got her way. Yeah. Um, so the Titanic then sailed a few hours past the corner before her collision with the iceberg. The final leg of the journey would have been 258 nautical miles, which is... It's a very long leg. 297 miles or 357 kilometres. But like compared to the, the so whole journey, close. like especially going from Belfast where it was made to the start of the journey in... Southampton. Yeah, in then England, to then to France, and then, then back, back again to Ireland. towards Ireland before continuing on over to America. Like They had so much done. Mm-hmm. So much travel. But they only had 357 kilometres left to go when they like, crashed. In terms of what they're do, like how far they were going in total, that's piss distance. So they would have gone to Ambrose Light in New York Harbour, in New York, and then finally New York Harbour. So the weather cleared as the ship left Ireland. Temperatures were fairly mild on April 13th, but the next day the ship crossed a cold front with strong winds and waves of up to eight feet in height. However, this died down as the day went on, and by the evening of April 14th, it became clear, calm and quite cold. The first three days of travel from Queenstown passed without any incidents. However, 10 days prior to the ship's departure, a fire had broken out in one of the ship's coal bunkers. And this actually continued to burn for several days into the voyage. <laughs> Feeling the, cute, might combust later. Yeah, but the passengers were not aware of this at all. Now, apparently fires were quite common on board steamships at the time due to spontaneous combustion of the coal. Yeah. Um, so this fire had to be extinguished with fire hoses by moving the coal that was on top to another bunker and feeding any burning coal into the furnace. The fire was finally extinguished on April 14th. Now, some people think that this fire may have contributed to the tragedy. Yeah. So that it may have possibly weakened the hull yeah. where the iceberg hit or something along those lines. Now, it's what's interesting to me is that this fire was burning when the ship went out for its sea trials. Because the fire started 10 days before the maiden voyage and they did the sea trials eight days before the maiden voyage. So it had already been burning for two days at that point. Just doing its thing. Just doing its thing. Um, so Titanic received warning from several other ships of drifting ice in the area of the Grand Banks of Newfoundland. But Captain Smith ignored these. As you do. Mm-hmm. The ship continued full steam ahead. At this time, ice was not believed to be much of a danger to ships. Um, in 1907, SS Kromprinz Wilhelm, which was a German ship, had rammed an iceberg but still been able to complete her voyage. So they um, thought that they were above mm -hmm. icebergs in terms of... Yeah. And close calls and collisions with ice were not uncommon but had not proved to be disastrous up until this point. Yeah. Captain Smith, who was the captain of the Titanic, um, said in 1907 that he quote could not imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that end quote i don't even think nowadays if you got a big enough slap of an iceberg that you'd be beyond it unless yeah. you were in the types of boats that they actually designed for that which would not be used for a commercial capacity mm -hmm. well not necessarily commercial but yeah. passenger but like that's the thing about the titanic it was Build as an unsinkable ship. Actually, do you know what I saw as well in some of my research? The um, White Star liners, isn't that what they were called? Mm -hmm. uh, them and all of that, they never actually claimed the ship was unsinkable. Oh, really? That was mostly okay. started by people who were like interviewed, survivors who were interviewed afterwards, so who they... said they felt that it was like. You know, an, like ship. that they thought they were on an unsinkable ship and then next thing you know, it's sinking. Yeah. And then also, like, I think there was one thing, all right, that White Star Liners mentioned at one point where they basically said, you know, I'm, 
it's as close to as unsinkable as is currently possible. Okay. But they never actually He's outright claimed that it it's was an unsinkable. unsinkable ship. Okay, I retract my statement. But that is a common thing that yeah. is said. And I suppose for the time, had it maybe not had complications of maybe it was at the time the most unsinkable, but it's mm. it's, it's maiden voyage. Kind of implies otherwise. But yeah. I'm trying to give them a bit of leeway here because <laughs> they put a lot of work in. <laughs> <laughs> they built a big ship. At 11.40am on April 14th, Frederick Fleet, who was the ship's... I know, the the names. Fleet as well. The names that I have stumbled across throughout this research are just fantastic. But good old Freddie Fleet, who was the ship's lookout, had spotted an iceberg immediately ahead of the Titanic, and so he alerted the bridge. First Officer William Murdoch ordered that the ship be... Murdoch Mysteries. Ordered that... It'd be nice if I could speak English. Ordered that the ship be steered around the iceberg and for the engines to be reversed, but it was too late. You did not have the three minutes and so many seconds that you needed. Three minutes and 15 seconds. The starboard side of the ship hit the iceberg, creating several holes below the waterline. The iceberg didn't actually puncture the hull, but it dented it in such a way that the hulls, the seams buckled. Buckled and um, separated, which let the water rush in. The ship could not survive if more than four of her waterproof compartments flooded, and unfortunately five of them were flooded with seawater. Like if they just managed to secure one of them. So the ship began sinking... Bow? 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 Bow. Bow, thank you bow first and as the angle became steeper water began to flow from compartment to compartment flooding the ship even more over two and a half hours after striking the iceberg between 2.10 and 2.15 a.m. the ship began sinking at a more rapid rate due to the boat deck dipping below below water um, dipping below the sea and water pouring in through all the open hatches and grates okay so a bit more water to join in there yep um so the ships, when this happened, the stern of the ship rose out of the water, exposing the propellers. And because the stern was unsupported, this caused the ship to break in two pieces between her second and third funnel. And as the bow was underwater and there was air strapped, it trapped in the stern. It stayed afloat for a few more minutes, rising to an almost vertical angle, kind of like we've seen in the Titanic movie. In the movie, yeah. And similar to the Titanic movie... Hundreds of people were clinging to the stern. Yeah. Um, I know, obviously, yeah. it's terrifying, but to be honest, when that's happening, what's the point in clinging? Just, I suppose it's fight or flight mode, yeah, survival instinct. human instinct. But, like, you probably have more... I'd, I'd just let go. I'd be like, look, I'll either survive down there or I'll die down there, I but would, I'm no good up here. I would be... Clinging. I'd be more scared of the height, to be honest, than the water. I would be clinging for dear life, screaming, I can't swim! Okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> I can swim. I but I don't think I do very well in ice-cold waters. Like, I was at, at the river recently and had to be helped into the water. Because <laughs> I don't do well with water. So, they were all, like, sadly, there was people clinging to the stern as it was, you know, coming up out of the water. Um, Must have been so loud as well. Yeah, yeah, like that's metal ripping apart. Yeah. Um, So it stayed afloat for a few more minutes and then it eventually sank at 20 past two in the morning. 
plunging any passengers and crew that were still clinging to it into freezing waters with a temperature of minus two degrees Celsius. Yeah, because apparently the band continued to play up until it was impossible to was play. Was that an actual like, thing? Apparently, yeah, that was actually a thing, not only just in the movie. Oh, that's awful. So, like, that's almost a bit terrifying, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, that's so sad. I think, um, apparently, the last song they played that a lot of the people that survived remember while it was going down was something about ironic i'm assuming they did it on purpose mm. was something about god seeing them soon or something like that oh that's awful that's so sad i can't remember where i was <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so the water was minus two degrees celsius or 28 degrees fahrenheit uh for many people the sudden plunge into the freezing cold water led to sudden cardiac arrest mm. uncontrollable breathing of water or cold incapacitation and almost all of these people died within 15 to 30 minutes. Like, there's no time to get them anywhere to help, to be no. honest. Um, and only only five people were helped into the lifeboats, despite the lifeboats having room for nearly 500 more people. Excuse me? Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, buddy. Don't you worry. Because I do wonder sometimes as well, like, I know that there wasn't enough life lifeboats on board, but the, mm-hmm. the, the ship also wasn't at full capacity. And if the ship had been at full capacity, this would have been an even worse disaster. There would have been even more fatalities. Mm-hmm. So the people on board were not prepared for an emergency like this and only had enough lifeboats to carry about half of the people on board. And even if the ship had her full capacity of 3,339 passengers and crew, only a third of these people would have fit in the lifeboats. Like, who thinks that that was... Like, who? Like why? Um. So the crew hadn't been trained properly in evacuation uh, in evacuation procedures and the officers didn't know how many people they could safely put in the lifeboats and as a result of this many of the lifeboats were barely half half full because when they the were people there weren't educated enough to no, know they how many could given, fit in without a buckling or yeah, a cause without a capsizing or anything like they didn't have the necessary knowledge to save these lives which isn't their fault no it's not the people above them should have trained them exactly um so Third-class passengers were largely left to fend for themselves, which meant that many of them were trapped below decks while the ship filled with water. Yeah. So I would say a lot of the Titanic movie was actually very true to life in terms of third-class passengers. Yeah. The only thing I think that was been discredited is the fact that the third-class passengers weren't locked down there. Oh, no, they weren't locked down there, no. no. But they were screwed But they were, all the they same, were trapped. Really. Like, the door might, have been not, might not have been locked, but they were trapped all the same. Yeah. Like, um, and you know, also random terrifying fact. Oh, go on. I'm, I'm as well. I'm assuming that where they were voyaging and where the ship went down would be salt water, yeah? Yep. Because there's actually, I've probably told you this before, but um, there's a big difference between drowning in salt water and drowning in fresh water. You've not told me this before. Okay, so when you drown in fresh water, your water, your water, your lungs fill up with water, yeah. you drown. Yeah. When you drown in salt water, most people... The salt pulls the blood in your body into your lungs and you technically drown in your own blood. That's... Which is why salt water, I suppose, probably burns more when horrifying. you end up... That's horrifying. Yeah. Um, so you're not... Most people wouldn't have actually, if it's salt water, probably would not have drowned technically in water. They drowned because the salt in the water pulled the blood, blood into, into their lungs. lungs. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. So, yeah, I hope um, everyone enjoys that twisted... Twist. Twisted talk. <laughs> twisted twist of the twisted talk. Uh, so the women and children first protocol was largely followed, leading to most of the male passengers and crew being left on board the sinking ship. 
distress signals had been sent by rockets, wireless, uh, wireless transmissions, and lamp, so like light flashes. Okay. Uh, during the sinking, but none of the ships that responded were near enough to reach the ship before it went down. At around 4 a.m., the RMS Carpathia arrived in response to what earlier. I, mean, I like that. To earlier in response to earlier distress calls, around 710 people were su- survived and were rescued and brought to New York City by the Carpathia. But sadly, around 1,500 people died in the tragedy. With Carpathia's captain describing the area as an ice field where he had seen 20 large icebergs yeah, measuring... I suppose for a lot of people, it might have been too dangerous for them to risk bringing their ship into yeah. those waters because of the people they have on board as well. Yeah. Your duty is who you have on your ship. So he saw at least 20 large icebergs measuring up to 200 feet, um, as well as several smaller icebergs and ice flows and debris from the ship and its passengers. This area is actually now known as Iceberg Alley. Um, now, the SS Californian... I briefly saw a few things about this when I was looking up theories, but I didn't really include anything. Let me educate you on the SS Californian. SS Californian is one of the ships that warned Captain Smith about the ice and had been only a few miles away from the Titanic at the time of the sinking, as they had stopped for the night due to the ice. At around 10 past 10 um, at night, Californian saw the lights of a ship to the south and it was agreed by Captain Stanley Lord and 3rd Officer C.V. Groves that this was a passenger liner. At 10 to 12... Or Is 10, this 10 to 12 10 midnight? To, 10 to midnight, yeah. Groves, who had relieved the captain at 11.10pm, saw that the ship's lights had flashed out as if she had shut down or turned sharply and he could now see the port light. As per Captain Lord's orders, Morse light signals, so like Morse code with a lamp, were flashed to Titanic between 11.30pm and 1am, but these weren't acknowledged by Titanic. However, it's said that if the Titanic was as far away as the captain claimed, he should have known that the Morse lights wouldn't have been visible and it would have been more reasonable to wake the Californian's wireless operator and try contacting them via wireless transmissions. Had this been done, it's possible more lives could have been saved. Captain Lord had gone to the chart room uh, for the night at 11pm and was notified at 1.10am that Titanic, well they didn't know it was Titanic, but that the ship they had seen had fired five rockets, so five flares. Lord asked if they were company signals, which are coloured flares used for identification. And second officer Herbert Stone said he didn't know and that they were white. So a white star line. White, oh shit White signals is what I'm thinking So Lord Instructed the crew to continue using the Morse lamp To signal the ship And then he went back to sleep It was so, just a series of bad calls Yeah Or uneducated calls even Uneducated possibly. yeah So finally at around Oh wait no sorry <laughs> Three more rockets were seen at 1.50am And Stone said the ship now appeared strange in the water As if she were listing which is when a ship is kind of turning on its side in a way, but like basically he could see that the ship was sinking. Right. And I suppose as well, actually, it was probably also kind of that made him them so delayed in actually trying to do anything. Mm. It's probably the ignorance of back then about how they did not think, yes, there can be dangers to these icebergs and pieces, but they did not think a ship could be brought down yeah. by Yeah, they that. were too confident in it. So they were too confident in, yeah. the, in their... In the safety of it, so the ignorance was ignorance is bliss. So he yeah. got to sleep more. So then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so 
So then at 2.15am, Lord was told the ship could no longer be seen. And again, asked if he asked if the rockets had any colours, to which he was again informed they were white. Finally, at around 5.30am, Chief Officer George Stewart woke Cyril Firmstone Evans. What a His name. Names. Oh Cyril Firmstone Evans, who was the ship's wireless operator and told him about the rockets that they had seen throughout the night, asking him to try and contact any ships. They got news of Titanic's loss and Captain Lord finally set the ship out to help. They arrived well after Carpathia had collected the survivors and inquiries found that the ship seen by the, the Californian was in fact the Titanic and it would have been possible for them to go and help them. Yeah. And it was found that Captain Lord had acted improperly in failing to do so. So it took the Carpathia three days to reach New York with the survivors due to pack ice, fog, thunderstorms. And I suppose now the added weight. And rough seas. Um, a crowd of around 40,000 people waited at New York's Pier 54 when she docked on April 18th. Because news had obviously been... Yep. And immediate relief in the form of clothing and transport to shelter was provided by Women's Relief Committee, the Travellers Aid Society of New York and the Council of Jewish Women, as well as many other organisations. Many survivors went straight to relatives that they had living in New York or to shelters. and Like to whatever plans they had probably already made when they arrived, kind of. Exactly. And wealthier survivors were able to charter private trains to take them home. The Pennsylvania Railroad also offered a special train free of charge to carry survivors to Philadelphia. Now, I've encountered a typo. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so this is about the surviving crew. I think it, the number was either 214 or 217, but it says 21R. So, yeah. So the 200... I'd say probably 214 because R is right below 4 on the keyboard. Clever. Okay, we're going to go with 214. The 214 surviving crew were accommodated in passenger cabins aboard the SS Lapland. And the crew of the Carpathia were given a bonus of a month's wages by their line, which was, I believe, the Cunard line. For um, their, what they'd done, kind of. For their actions. That's what I like to see in a company. And as well, some of the Titanic survivors actually banded together to give them an additional £900, which would be about £95,000 today, to be divided amongst the crew as, I suppose, kind of a thanks for saving their lives. Yeah, and if it was, you know, gratitude-like. Exactly, yeah. So as the Titanic was insured, the White Star Line received a payment of £1 million. Jesus Christ, the amount of money that would be now. It's £102 million now. Fuck me. Within 30 days of the ship sinking. You wouldn't get in that quick these days, I don't think. Nope. So in Britain and the US, more than 60 survivors sued the White Star Line for damages connected to loss of life and baggage. And these lawsuits totaled... um, about $16,804,112. Not enough from the insurance claim. Uh-huh. Which is around $419 million um, today. Fucking hell. To which White Starline claimed that this was far in excess of what it was responsible for as it was a limited liability company under US law. And unfortunately, due to the majority of complainants being in the US, the Supreme Court ruled in favour of White Starline and found the ship sinking was due to unforeseeable circumstances rather than negligence. Yeah, because um, I think even um, the UK and the US inquiry both mm-hmm. came to the conclusion yeah. that it wasn't White Star's fault. Yeah, um, so I'll touch on that in a minute. 
Um, so in the end, um, even after families reduced their claims to $2.5 million, White Star settled for $664,000, which is about $16.56 million in 2018. I'm just overwhelmed by the amount of money that's just being thrown around yeah. here. Um, so this was agreed to by 44 of the claimants in December 1915, with $500,000 set aside for American claimants. $50,000 set aside for UK claimants and an additional $114,000 set aside for interest and legal expenses. Now, many charities were also set up to help survivors um, because most of the survivors had lost their sole wage earner or in the case of third class passengers, they'd lost everything everything, everything that they owned. Because like maybe some of them could have been going on to start a new life in America. So everything yeah. they, they yeah, deemed that's the thing. A lot of people were immigrating. Um so in New York, the American Red Cross and Charity Organization Society formed a joint committee to give financial aid to survivors. Opera stars Enrico Caruso and Mary Garden raised $12,000, which is about $300,000 today, in benefits for victims. And in Britain, relief funds were organised for families of the lost crew members, raising almost £450,000, which is £47 million It's today. nice to hear so much being done mm -hmm. because I feel like, call it ignorance, but I feel like I would not have thought that, that any of that would yeah, have happened back I, then. Honestly, the first I heard I, of it was like, when I was doing Like, even when you were saying it there, I was kind of like, oh, wow, they had charities. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they had charities back like, then. Obviously, that's my own ignorance, but yeah. like I just would never have thought that that kind of those kind of things would have been done yeah no I was the same I honestly didn't even think about it and then I was researching and I saw what I've just read out there and I was like oh that's Whoa. actually brilliant people care <laughs> yeah. um, so one fund was actually in operation up until the 1960s okay so not that long ago yeah. in the grand scheme of things yeah but even when you think about it like 1912 only 110 years yeah. ago like it's scary yeah um, it just shows how far as well cruise ships and everything have, and, come. have come in yeah. such a short space of time. But I assume in terms of safety and everything, the Titanic probably played a big role in that. Oh yeah, the, definitely. You know. Definitely it did, yeah. So investigations were carried out by the US and the UK. The UK investigation was at the time the longest and most detailed court of inquiry in British history. Um, both investigations reached similar conclusions that the regulations on the number of lifeboats were inadequate mm. and out of date. Captain Smith had failed to take heed when warned of the ice. The lifeboats hadn't been properly filled or crewed and that the collision was a direct result of steaming into dangerous areas, into a dangerous area at too high of a speed. However, neither inquiry stated negligence as a factor. Yeah, but I suppose that's because of the times. Nobody was informed enough yeah. to necessarily know. It wasn't that definite. they were negligent; it was that they were uneducated. They were, it was uneducated, so it was unintentionally negligent. Yeah. Like they can't be held accountable for what they didn't know or what yeah. wasn't common. Yeah, exactly. Or taught to them, or exactly. Um, so the American. This is a direct quote. This is a direct quote from Wikipedia. The American inquiry included, sorry, concluded that since those involved had followed standard practice, the disaster was an act of God. Yeah. God did it. Jesus. God did it. He said, you know what? Fuck you in your little boat. Boop. He was like, you think you got a big boat? You think it's unsinkable? Ha. You haven't met my icebergs yet. They're having a pissing contest. Yeah. So the tragedy of the Titanic led to many changes to regulations and maritime practices, such as ensuring more lifeboats are provided, 
performing lifeboat drills, um, educating the crew on how to correctly fill and man a lifeboat. Um, and as well, wireless equipment must be manned around the clock because obviously on the Californian, the wireless operator was asleep and there was no one else to, manning to, it. Yeah. Um, Whereas you need someone to be there to yeah. hear if someone's and in that case, or whatever. In that case, it probably was that there was no one else on board who knew how to operate the wireless system. So you'd need to have people system. like on shifts. But like they were well able to do that with the captain. Because with the captain, he was taken off shift by Groves and then Groves was taken off shift by um, just wasn't the other guy, important. Stone, I think his name was. Yeah. Um, and as well, they set up an international ice patrol. Okay. So like someone... A communication yeah. network, basically. Yeah. So that if there is like a massive iceberg, this can be prevented again. Um, so the exact number of casualties... <laughs> it's like, you know, on. when you have all your friends on Snapchat and they start putting up Garda checkpoint. <laughs> at like, and I actually know that as well. Speed van. In like a lot of places in, um, in like Spain, like in Lanzarote. There's like WhatsApp group chats of people that say where the traffic cameras are and really? all of that. So like the, essentially the same as Snapchat, but they'll text into a WhatsApp group. Listen, say what you want about humanity, but no matter what country you're in, we'll unite and protect each other from the speed traps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but don't speed, guys. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's reckless. The exact number of casualties linked to the Titanic is unknown due to confusion over the passenger list which still listed names of some people who had cancelled their trips and as well several passengers for various reasons travelled under aliases um, and so they were double counted as casualties. Okay. Um, the death toll is estimated to be between 1,490 and 1,635 people and as well some survivors actually died later due to exposure and of. injuries relating to and the I wonder, sinking. And I wonder, I'm like, hmm, I wonder why some of these people were under aliases. What's going on there? Oh, hmm. Um. So, of the passengers aboard the ship, it's believed that four women from first class, 13 women from second class, and 80 women from third class, as well as three female crew members died. 113 men from first class, 154 men from second class, 387 men from third class, and 693 male crew members died. The specifics are quite interesting because mm-hmm. I'm like, nowadays, you normally wouldn't see, you know, unless you really went out of your way to look for it, you wouldn't mm-hmm. see a breakdown of gender. Yeah, you no, just I see found like it on Wikipedia. An incident Wikipedia. with, like, Beautiful. you know, where there'd be, like, so many people. Yeah. But, like, back then, I suppose it was very sexist, so mm-hmm. it's important to yeah. differentiate. And as well, one child from first class, no children from second class, and 52 children from third class died, which leads to a total estimate of 1,514 people, which is what I would have been taught in school. Yeah. Um, was that 1,514 people had died. So that's 1,514 people out of 2,224. 710 survivors. Um, so like basically survivors were only the people that got on that boat. That got on the lifeboats or were rescued. The yeah. people that were rescued from the water. Because like the majority of the people were on that that boat that came and helped. Like they just took a significant Carpathian. number, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, White Star Line chartered the CS McKay Bennett from Canada to retrieve bodies, and three other Canadian ships followed in the search. These were the Minia, the Mont Magny, definitely pronounced that wrong, and Algerine. The ships left with embalming oh, supplies. Oh, it's Mont Magny. Mont Magny. There's a Y. Mont Magny. 
I don't know, it sounds weird. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so the ships left with embalming supplies, undertakers, clergymen and crew. 333 victims were recovered, with 328 being retrieved by the Canadian ships and five more were retrieved by passing North Atlantic steamships. The first ship to reach the area was the CS McKay Bennett and they found so many bodies that they actually ran out of embalming materials. Wow. And due to health regulations, only embalmed bodies were allowed to return to port. So, let me tell you what they did. Let, oh, me, no. let me tell you what they did. So, Captain Lardner of the McKay Bennett and the undertakers decided to preserve only the first class passengers. Oh, why am I not surprised? And justified this by saying that these passengers would need to be visually identified to resolve any disputes over money or large estates that they had left behind. Well, okay, you're not wrong, but that's not the fucking point. No. Many third class passengers and crew were buried at sea due to this, and Captain Lardner said that as a mariner, he himself would be content to be buried at sea. Just because you would doesn't Does, mean yeah, that like, these people would. These people were not mariners. They like, were passengers. These people deserved to be brought home to their families just as much as first class passengers did. And the only reason that they didn't get that option was because they weren't rich. They were third class or they were crew. But like this also literally means you went out of your way to fish someone out, figure out whether they were first, second or third class and throw and them back in. bury them at sea. Yeah. And like I love how they say bury at sea. Like define bury. What do you mean? Just leave them float to the bottom? I highly doubt yeah, you Yeah, literally just... <laughs> wrapped them up in a sheet and threw them into the ocean yeah with like maybe the clergyman saying a few prayers yeah do you know what I mean um, so that really bugged me that really annoyed me so bodies that were recovered were preserved and transported to Halifax for identification by relatives who had to travel across North America to do so some bodies were shipped home for burial across North America and Europe um, only two thirds of the bodies were identified so some were buried with simple numbers based on what order their bodies had been discovered, discovered in. Because what else can you do? Exactly. And um, 150 victims were buried in three graveyards in Halifax. Um, now in May 1912, so a month after the sinking, three bodies were discovered in one of the collapsible lifeboats. It was collapsible A. Um, what does it... What does do you know did you see what so they mean a, by collapsible collapsible like fold up like fold up kind of like um, like you know those orange lifeboats that you see that are like made of like canvas that okay. like inflate okay yeah. so like one that can be basically stored away if needs be but yeah. also so like in the Titanic okay. movie I'm pretty sure they were actually beige I don't think they were um, grey yeah like, red, like most orange, of the ones Jesus you Christ. most of the ones you kind of see in the Titanic movie seem to be those ones that got lowered yeah the wooden ones the wooden yeah. ones yeah um, but the ship did have wooden lifeboats some collapsibles and it had two I can't remember what they're called but they were little, little boats with sails okay like a dinghy boat kind of not yeah. well known yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, you know I don't know mean. someone out there will it know is what, we mean. what it is <laughs> um, so these three bodies had been left there after 12 men and one woman were rescued from the lifeboat and after their bodies were retrieved they were also buried at sea now, the, the remains of the Titanic were lost for years, um, but were actually discovered on September 1st in 1985, leading to many expeditions to ins inspect the ship and retrieve items from the wreckage, which are now on display in museums and stuff. And it was shown that both sections of the ship hit the seabed at a considerable speed, which caused the boat to crumple and the stern collapsed entirely. 
The stern is described as completely wrecked with all the decks pancaked down on top of each other, while the bow is slightly more intact um, with some of the interiors still intact as well. Pancaked, I love that word. Yeah. So some of the interiors in the bow are actually still intact as well. Um, The wreckage is surrounded by a five by three mile debris field, which is sadly where many of the victims actually came to rest when the ship sank. Um, and as well as that, like I know shoes have been found. Um, and I'm sure they say that it's not things. that long now until the wreckage is basically gone from yep. erosion. So in, so basically what's happening is there's some damage to the hull mm. from submersibles hitting off of it during um, expeditions. But as well, there's been an increase in an iron-eating bacteria. That's what I was thinking So in 2006, it was estimated that due to this increase in iron-eating bacteria, the entire structure of the wreckage will collapse within the next 50 years. Yeah, so like it's very... So it will basically leave... Touch would be alive, like when when the Titanic's basically gone. But um, basically what they're saying will happen is the because the bow is made of iron and the stern is made of iron, that will all collapse completely to the floor. And probably seabed. continue to get eaten away by the bacteria yeah. until there's nothing um, left. So that will collapse to the seabed, but some of the interior structure should remain intact. Until eventually until natural eventually, erosion of water yeah. gets rid of it or yeah. does its best. Um, but that is all that I have on the Titanic for today. So it's theory time. Okay, I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay, so I'm... I shouldn't be excited, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Titanic stan. I have a poem, actually. A poem that we yeah. must actually... We'll see. I might read it if I feel... We'll if see I'm, how if you I'm feel feeling like treating you, I might yes. read it to you. I wrote it when I was 10. So, it's... It's 15 years I old. I wrote it for a school project, by the way. It was not just me sitting at home writing poems about the Titanic. That would have been a bit unnerving. Mm. I did sit at home and research the Titanic a lot, though. But that's normal. Yeah. I, well... I wouldn't classify myself as normal so mm. I don't know how you should feel about me classifying that as normal yeah, but first theory out of a few theories now most of the theories are fairly short so it's not going to take much Um, but our first one is insurance fraud theory I've heard this one so Robert Robert I'm already starting off wrong <laughs> Robin there is a Robert though further on I think but Robin Gardner a conspiracy theorist put forward the theory that the Titanic did not sink Robin suggests that it was actually the Titanic sister ship, the RMS Olympic, and that the Olympic was disguised as the Titanic in order to commit insurance fraud by the owners, which were obviously your White Star Liner, but the actual name would have been the International Mercantile Marine Group, which was controlled by J.P. Morgan, the American banker. Um, The Titanic and Olympic were very similar from the outside, the Olympic had, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. had been involved in a collision, uh, and that was with the Royal Navy warship HMS Hawk on the 20th of September 1911. Okay. Extensive damage was caused to the Olympic, and blame for the incident had been assigned to the Olympic. Therefore, the insurance company were like, now nah, we're not paying for damages, it's your fault. you got to pay out of your own pocket. you got to deal with this out of your profit or Come whatever. Come on, JP, you've surely got the money. You know, and the Olympic would be out of action until repaired, and the Titanic, which still wasn't ready, um, so this would lead to severe financial loss, having neither ships out at sea. Um, the Olympics returned to the yard after the loss of a propeller blade, would delay the Titanic's completion date uh, even further because it was already behind schedule. schedule. Um, So it's theorised that because the insurance company would not pay for the damages that the Olympic... um, would not pay for the damages done to the Olympic, 
that the Olympic was patched up and made to look even more like the Titanic than it already did, and that it was then used instead of the Titanic so that when it sunk, they could claim the money from the insurance, the insurance and actually get a payment because, mm-hmm. you know, the Olympic supposedly... The, the Olympic supposedly only had um few parts that had the ship's name on it, so to identify it as the Olympic. Okay. Other than the easily other than the easily removed lifeboats, bell, compass, uh the compass binnacle even or binnacle, I don't know how to pronounce binnacle, that. I think. Um and things like name badges. So all of those kind of things easily replaceable, mm-hmm. you know, and then they could change it to show the name of the Titanic instead. Now, obviously then quietly, once that had been done, the real Titanic, once it was fully ready, would also take to the seas. Um, so Gardner believes that the real Titanic actually spent 25 years in service as the Olympic, meaning the owners would be compensated for the loss of the Olympic with the insurance company believing it was actually the Titanic. And the owners could then make money off of the actual Titanic, but lead people to believe that it, it was, was the, the Olympic. Olympic. That it was the, the repaired Olympic. So Robin Gardner claims that the length of the Titanic sea trials is evidence to his theory. The Olympics trials um, in 1910 took two days, which included multiple high-speed runs, but the Titanic's trials reported only lasted for one day mm-hmm. without going over half-speed. It's 12 hours. You know what I mean? But it did say it was tested at um, various speeds, but... um might not have been tested at full speed. Yeah. So Gardner says that this was because the patched up hull could not take any long periods of high speed. Which also gives reason to how they were saying about making the Titanic trip longer. Mm. Now the Titanic, um, from my research, uh, did actually operate at full speed during the, the trip. That's actually what caused the problems was that it was going too fast through Iceberg Alley. Yeah. Which but also, like a if it was going too road. fast... And the hull was damaged because it was actually the Olympic. Because mm-hmm. um, like in this, it doesn't say about the voyage. It just says in the test trials, yeah. it never was put at full speed or over half speed. So that it would pass, pass. the test trials. Um, so the Titanic sea trials were actually done with the patched up Olympic, not the real Titanic, um, is, what he, is what he claims. Uh, while there are multiple sources that claim this to be a valid theory as to what could have been at play, there is also evidence that this theory is not true. Uh, parts of the wreckage that were covered had the number 401 on them. 401 was the the actual Titanic's construction number, whereas yes, the actual Olympic was 400 and the Britannic was 403. Do you know? Yeah. So that kind of leads to. Oh, believe, sorry, 402. It leads that it was the Titanic that went out that night, yeah. the actual Titanic, because they hardly went through the effort of changing all oh, those no, parts. No, they wouldn't. No. Um, you would have had to like strip the ship parts. You know, so that's basically it on the insurance fraud theory now there's probably a little bit more out there um but i kind of just stuck to the most important kind of main gists of it Mm -hmm. um now next we move on to something which kind of actually matches up what you what you talked about as well which is the coal fire theory um so an engineer from ohio state university robert essenhai released a theory in november 2004 great name I really like it. I ran out of breath there, but I really I like that name. Um, <laughs> that claims a coal fire led indirectly to the Titanic's collision with an iceberg. So Robert claims that a pile of stored coal could have started to smoulder, and in order to prevent the stored coal from starting a fire, it would have been added to the furnaces, which would have led uh, the Titanic to pick um, up to an unsafe speed, which mm-hmm. we know it was going Which they, we know they did fast. because they were putting the 
coal that was burning into the furnaces yeah. while they were extinguishing the fire because exactly. they couldn't move it to another coal bunker because it would have just started a fire in there. And Robert Nesson High states that records prove that fire control teams were on standby at Sherberg uh, and Southampton ports because of a fire in the Titanic stockpile and that those kind of fires, as you said, are known to reignite after they've been supposedly extinguished. Also, when they did the sea trials, there was firefighters on board. You know, because but I'm the assuming fire had already started at that point. Yeah, but I'd assume even anyway that's probably standard because it's not been tried Maybe before. Actually, yeah, that makes so sense. it would make sense to have someone fire people on board for the trials because if you don't know if fire's going to start because it's not been out at sea yet. Yeah. Um. So he theorizes that the Titanic set off from Southampton with one of its bunkers on fire, or that the coal spontaneously combusted after the ship left the port. Um, now, fires of this nature, as we said, were a common occurrence, especially on coal-fired ships and whatnot, because one of the mul- which is one of the multiple reasons marine transportation switched to oil in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. because it was just too risky yeah. to keep using coal, but these fires keep popping up, and eventually you're not going to mm. be Now, I do think, in terms of that theory, it could be plausible, because... If the fire was hot enough, it could have weakened. It the, could have weakened the hull. Yeah, exactly. And I know when I read in my research, it said that the steel used for the hull was good for the times, but like by Nothing today's, amazing, but, but by today's, today's standard. standards, it would not be used. Really. Yeah, and there is another um, theory that I left out about um, basically just how uh, certain parts of a certain piece—I can't remember what it was. Um, a cheaper grade was used to save money but that you know there's no evidence to say that's definite yeah. and also there was no limit on the budget yeah. for oh, this no, ship no, so no why limit, bother like, trying to save costs exactly. when you've not been given a now, limit I do know the rivets that that's were used the, word. the rivets that were used were supposed to be very good quality from what I researched Yeah, but it was just the steel was a bit doubtful um, now it wasn't bad quality by any means it just wouldn't be on par with the standards that we have today for shipping. Yeah, whereas the theory would but, be, I for think, the so times, iron rivets instead iron, of steel. Yeah. Um, so, like, what I'm thinking is maybe that the fire could have been hot enough that it damaged the, the steel or Soften them softened or, it or forced some of the rivets out, which would have contributed to the parts of the hull buckling and separating when the iceberg hit Yeah, it. and as well, like, very cold waters, very cold yep. area. So, like, if the heat was making the rivets expand mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the cold was making it, you know, retract yeah. again. It would have been a so easy A series of repeat, uh, repetitive, yeah. you know, contracting and... Um, oh, God, I can't remember the word either. Oops. Expanding and contracting. That's it. Re- that happening repeatedly would also weaken it uh, as yeah. the journey went on. So that don't sound like... That sounds like a more plausible theory anyway than, than a lot of the theories. It's it's I very agree. factual. It's very scientific. You know, it's plausible. And that's the straight forward I, whole theory. Sorry, I've just looked at your laptop. I love this next thing that you're going to talk about. Yeah, and again, very, very short. They're all very short. Mm-hmm. But I'm... Um, so this one is a premonition theory. Um, so a fictional story called The Wreck of the Titan was written in 1898 by the author Morgan Robertson, which told the story of a Titan ship that hit an iceberg and that there was a lack of lifeboats on this ship. Morgan claimed to be a psychic and got his inspiration for uh, this story from his psychic abilities. Now, the novel was written before the Titanic had even been designed, 
but there are some extraordinary similarities between the story's fictional ship and the real-life Titanic. Um, like the Titanic, the fictional ship sank in the North Atlantic in April, and there were not enough lifeboats for the number of passengers on board. Um, there are also similarities between the size and speed, as well as life-saving equipment um, on board. Now, the fictional Titan from the book was 800 foot long, and the Titanic was 882 and a half feet long. So, quite similar. Um, the Titan was at a speed of 25 knots, and the Titanic was at a speed of 23 knots. So they're, they are very, very similar, very similar. especially well for a story that was wrote before the Titanic yeah. was even designed. And as well the names, like the Titan, the Titanic. Yeah. Um, now, I, what We've I literally left know, out I see. Yeah. I see. The and unfortunately, I, I see. I see Waters was also the problem. Yeah. Um, now, what I want to know is, did he come out with this saying that he's a psychic before or after the Titanic sank? Do you know? I do not. Hmm. Um, but... Yeah, that is interesting. I'm like, did he come out as psychic afterwards? Or had he claimed to be psychic beforehand and not necessarily claimed that that story was a psychic premonition thing? Mm. And then just mentioned it afterwards or what? But like, I don't know. But I suppose back then, even if you kind of like were, how big was it back then? Or would you just easily be dismissed and called a nut? You definitely would be dismissed and called a nut. You know, like... So it's a hard one to call whether, whether regardless whether they were telling the truth or not, yeah. uh, or whether they came out afterwards with it because something had happened that proved, in their eyes, proved the psychic yeah. link. I'm psychic. Um, so, um, moving on, there is the mummy curse. Okay. So this theory is a bit of an urban legend that's possibly based on Amin-Ra's priest, um, Amin-Ra's priestess, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that, Right. Amun-Ra, priestess. Yes. No, Raz, I think, is the place. Amun-Ra. So Amun-Ra is priestess. Amun-Ra is a god. He's a god of the sun. So a priestess of Amun-Ra. So yeah. Amun-Ra is priestess, yeah. Yeah, he's an Egyptian god of the sun. Who lived in 1050 BC. Uh, going by legend, after the discovery of the priestess's mummified remains in Egypt in the 1890s, the purchaser of the mummy started to experience serious I'm misfortune. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Did you just say the purchaser of the mummy? Somebody bought this woman's remains. Yeah, welcome to the world of historians and procurers and artefacts. Like, listen, I know, I know. It's how they end up in museums. Okay, that's that's a valid point. Someone has to buy them. They've got to float around until they eventually get sold or donated to a museum. Like, I know that, like... I don't, I don't want to cause a, a ruckus here by saying this, but I know that the British used to eat mummies. But I didn't know that they could, like, just buy and sell the whole body. Anyone could. It's That's just, mad. like, the, the money it could have gone to an American had they been the highest bidder, I suppose. I hope someone buys my body when I die. <laughs> okay. Display me in the hallway. Bordering on a necrophilia um, erotic novel there. Actually, do you know what? Bury me in cement. <laughs> there we go. I thought that might change your mind. Um, but anyway, yeah, so supposedly brought him serious misfortune. Um, the mummy was then reportedly donated to the British Museum, where it apparently continued to cause mysterious problems for staff and visitors alike. The mummy was then eventually purchased by journalist William Steed, or Stead, who dismissed claims of a curse and described events as quirks of circumstance. So I'm assuming he was just like, look, um, 
you know, you're just putting you're, you're all picked. these things. You're fucking you're just You're just blaming these things on that because it's arrived at the same time as the problems. Yeah. Um, they probably would have happened regardless of the mummy. What a coincidence. Yes. Uh, the legend claims then that William arranged for the mummy to be hidden under the bonnet of his car for fear that it would not be taken aboard the Titanic due to its reputation. He reportedly revealed to other passengers the presence of the mummy the night before the accident occurred. Now, official records state that the British Museum never received the mummy, only the sarcophagus, sarcophagus lid, which is on display at the museum and known as the Unlucky Mummy. Uh, additionally, um, except during war and special exhibits abroad, the coffin lid has not left the Egyptian room. So the truth is that there supposedly never was a mummy on board the Titanic, nor has there ever been a mummy in the British Museum because it's only been the lid of sarcophagus. Okay. Now, unless they're claiming that it was only the lid they have when they had the whole thing, sold the mummy to this fella he brought on the Titanic and they just kept the lid. I'm just... But like, again, that's me just adding to the conspiracy. I'm just like, he put... He says he put a mummy under the bonnet of his car. I don't know that I say bonnet, but I meant I to say meant, body. Yeah, I was th- I was just thinking, I was like, how would you fit? Cause you I know I wrote the, body down, but I could have very well I said bonnet. I think you did say bonnet. Um, but I meant body of the car, so Irish, underneath. If you're not Irish, we call it the bonnet, but it's the... It's a bonnet. The hood, I think. Hood, bonnet. Hood, bonnet. Yeah. Or, yeah, and then the boot is the trunk. But, like, just I'm just picturing him strapping this mummy underneath the car. Do you know, I'm getting serious and... I'm assuming some Irish and maybe more British listeners might know what I'm on about, but I'm just getting in my head, where's my mummy? Are you my mummy? Yeah. Oh, Doctor Who. God, I'm yeah, that was creepy shit. Well, I was a lot younger when I first saw that. Are you my mummy? And fucking gas- No, she went down on the Titanic. The gas, ma- the gas mask children. Oh. But, um, yeah, so, you know, Make up your own minds on whether you think the mummy was on board the Titanic or not. Under the body of the car. Under the body of the car, yes, not the bonnet. Um, so that is the mummy theory. Um, again, there's probably more out there, but we're sticking to the basics, to the to the straight and narrow. Um, now we have the murder plot theory. So this might be the last one I have, I think. Um, so now we're mentioning J.P. Morgan again, the American banker who controlled the, as mentioned, International Mercantile Marine Group that owned the Titanic, so I'm assuming they owned um, White Star. White Star. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some blame J.P. Morgan, claiming the banker had arranged it all as an elaborate murder. The okay. theory says that Morgan wanted to create a U.S. Federal Reserve Bank, which is now a thing that does exist. Okay. Um, I think it came into thing not long after all of this, probably. But which was opposed by his rivals, who were millionaires John Jacob Astor, Benjamin Guggenheim, Guggenheim and Macy's Isidore Strauss. Now, I know, I'm not sure about Guggenheim and Strauss. Um, Astor did die on the Titanic. Because, remember I said I was... So, basically, when I was researching, um, I could only find names for the first-class passengers. So, I chose not to include them because I would prefer to have been able to represent all the Everyone passengers. Everyone or no one. Because um, at the end of the day, we're all equal. But I know I did see uh, John Jacob Astor and his wife were on board and his wife survived, but he didn't. Yeah. Um, And I didn't know Macy's. I'm assuming they mean Macy's as in the big Macy's, the store, chain. the department yeah. store, yeah. Um, so all three rivals were aboard the oh. Titanic. Uh, 
Guggenheim and Strauss apparently went down with the ship and Astor's body was later recovered. Um, now, this theory heavily relies on the fact that Morgan had originally planned to sail aboard the Titanic, but changed his mind shortly before it set sail. Mm -hmm, so, did. he wasn't on board. Although this theory does not offer any explanation as to how Morgan could have orchestrated all of this, and even if he had, how could he guarantee that his rivals would not survive uh, the accident? And also, how could he... Like, how could he convince the captain? Or what could he sabotage that wouldn't be noticed yeah. or, you know. And the thing is, like, this wasn't a case of sabotage. This was a collision. Yeah, and now the one thing I do think mm -hmm. is... Tell, um, me. tell me, tell me. As well, I was thinking is... Tell us. Seem as he decided not to get on the boat, maybe he knew, but the others didn't know that it was actually the Olympic. It could be. In, in terms maybe, of bringing that conspiracy back in. Or he could have been concerned because he knew that there was a fire on board and he was concerned about the structure. Yeah, so it could have just been a simple thing where he was like, yeah, Because I did think it was I'm quite strange that. that he, as the owner of Didn't get on a, mo the ship, a maiden voyage. Decided not to get on for the maiden voyage. voyage. But um, as well as this, Astor and Guggenheim didn't appear to have taken a position on the idea of a US Federal Reserve, and Strauss actually supported the idea. Okay. So, like, you know... So it kind of contradicts two of, Yeah, exactly. So, like, why would he kill them if, uh, as his supposed rivals that didn't want to start up this Federal Reserve when one of them was actually on board with it and the other two hadn't seemed to have said... Formed an opinion. ...hadn't kind of been here or there about it. Okay. So, if that's the case, they could have yet been convinced to mm -hmm. go on board with that. So, why kill them? So, again, I... I find that theory about as valuable as a long string of piss. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's not... It makes no sense. You're a long string of piss, Harry. <laughs> it just collapses in on itself. Apologies yeah. to any Harrys that might be listening. You're not a long was, string of piss. I was, I was quoting Harry Potter, but okay. You know... Well, misquoting Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, Potter and the Chamber of Piss. Um, the Chamber of Piss. But um, anyway, the actually, do have another. Oh God! Now that's Harry a, Potter now, and the Goblet of Piss. Now let's not, because you're getting into a fetish there. You're so <laughs> And so now I actually think I'm on the last theory. That wasn't it. This one's very short as well, though, and it does. It is food for thought. Uh, it's a thor torpedo theory. So although World War One had not yet begun. Some suspect that a German naval submarine um, could have attacked the British ship. Some survivors reported a vessel lurking miles away until the early morning. A columnist with the Huffington Post said, The sub may have deliberately targeted the luxury liner or possibly accidentally collided with it. Mm -hmm. However, there is no evidence to this theory. Um, critics of this theory also point out that the German naval submarine um, point out um, yeah, the German naval submarine attack on the RMS Lusitania in 1915, which caused the ship to sink in 18 minutes, whereas the Titanic took two hours and 40 minutes to go under. Now, the only um, plausible part I find of this is if the submarine accidentally hit it, hit it under, yeah. while it was under the water and the Titanic was going over the water. Um, no, I do think because then it could have caused the type of damage that you know could have been yeah. furthered along by the maybe possible damage again, to the infrastructure from the coal fire theory. Jesus, that's a loud car. In saying that, like, submarines have sonar equipment. So if the sub was coming up and hit the Titanic by accident when they were coming up, like, it would have pinged on their radar that there was something above them. I know I watched a fucking terrifying movie recently. Justin made me watch it, and I'm still upset But how good was it. sonar equipment back then? Um, Probably not as good as what it is now. Like, would you know in time to change course when a vessel that big? Probably not. Because it's so long. So, Sorry, like, even I'm... as you start to go down... 
as if you're still going straight. Give me a second, I'm having PTSD flashbacks to this movie. But um, the other thing I was going to say, sorry, you continue first, I cut you off. Very rude. I'm ignorant. (laughs) Just as ignorant as these people were when they thought they couldn't be taken down by a bit of ice. Yeah. (laughs) I actually could do with a bit of ice in my water and fucking roast fucking roast But um, Colin O'Crona is cooking us. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, no, that was basically what all I was saying is like, you know, the only possible thing I could give maybe a bit of attention to there is that maybe it was an accidental thing mm. because if it was intentional, why would it take two hours, 40 minutes? Yeah. And even if it was intentional, how could you, you know, shoot it in such a way that you want it to be prolonged and look like an accident? Exactly. Um, and in terms of the witnesses who said that they saw a vessel lurking until the early hours of the morning and it was miles away that could very well be the SS Californian. See, I was thinking that, but I assume they would know, like, that this vessel would, like, if they're giving way to a submarine theory, they're surely on about a vessel that mm. was, like, partially submerged yeah. even, not, not above. Lurking in the water. Lurking not in the water. Floating. Like, lurking. Not Not sitting on the water, watching from a distance, not helping, mm. but lurking as in just kind of, like, bobbing up and down, maybe going down and appearing again later mm. and not leaving. But, like, obviously, I know you're a submarine, you can't really do much. Can yeah. you? Because you can't really come up and open your door and let people in. I don't don't think anyway. Mm, and you can, but I'm like, assuming at this stage it's it's it was a German submarine. So like I'm also assuming we're not far off of the start of World War One. So I yeah. don't think they'd be wanting to help yeah. a British ship, regardless of war not having started yet, because they are on yeah, the see, road the to being enemies. War, the fact that war hasn't broken out yet, like tensions might be high. There might have been some issues, but like the war hadn't officially started yet. So I'm thinking, like, what reason would they have had? Yeah, I'm purely thinking accidental or making the first move. Yeah. But why would you not claim responsibility for it if it was the first move of war? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so that That's is that is all my my conspiracy theories. There wasn't too many of them, um, but there are you know a couple of them are interesting. Yeah. Um, you very know, interesting. I was whether very intrigued. you know whether they're worth anything or not. Mm. But, yeah, so that is my research two cents on the matter. I think it was just a combination of lack of education at the time. Like, not not even lack of education, it's just the knowledge wasn't there until the accident happened. Like, I think it was just a tragedy. It was something they learned from going forward. Like, I don't think we'd be where we are now with ships if it wasn't for that happening. That's the thing with humanity. Like, we've gotten to where we are today by learning... From our mistakes. From our mistakes and from our tragedies. And I really do think this was just an accident waiting to happen, to be honest, with the way that they thought they were invincible against ice. But it's just sad that this had to happen for us to have the guidelines and the safety precautions that we have today. 100%. But, you know, I suppose it's the same with everything. Like, there's, there's been multiple changes in, like, for example, with, with air regulations. Yeah. Everything was so lackadaisical until 9-11. Yeah, exactly. And it's so upsetting. And even back takes... then, like, the planes and everything were, for the, were fine. Mm. It was the regulations and the rules for boarding planes and security yeah. and all that. Like, you could just stroll lax. on in and be like, oh, I'm off to wherever I'm yeah. going. I'm off to New York. Whereas, you know, once upon a time was probably fine. Yeah. But not anymore. Yeah, but it's just so upsetting to think that it takes, historically it's always taken such a massive loss of life for these things yeah. to 
be fixed and to be looked into and for people to be like right okay this is what we need to be doing we need these safety regulations and these precautions to be in place and like on one hand it's like how are you meant to know to have these in place until something Mm -hmm. happens that points out that they're needed but on another hand it's like when you're dealing with such a volatile situation like you know like aircrafts you know ships submersibles mm. all of that you think you'd be like you were thinking outside the box enough to fucking invent them and build you them think you so you think, think you could think outside the box a little bit more to be like okay some fucking regulations. what could go wrong like I'm sorry I just had to take a talk of my vape there but um don't vape they, guys yeah it's bad for your lungs it's, it's... um but like they were so confident that nothing was going to happen that they didn't even train the crew on how to fill the lifeboats it's honestly like with some of the serial killers and stuff like that they're so confident they're not going to get caught they get sloppy and they get caught and they get caught they get themselves caught now I know obviously this isn't someone intentionally going out you know going by fact not going by any of the conspiracies and you know it's a situation just tragic accident you know Mm -hmm. so like there's no serial killers involved here that we're aware of unless one of those aliases you never know but you know, you never know. I think I don't really have anything else to say. Merely from the point of view that if I don't get something to eat soon, I am going to start oh, chewing your seats. I'm starving. My stomach's been eating itself. Yeah, mine's leaving out the odd rumble here and there. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm honestly. I'm, I know that if I don't eat soon, I'm either going to be very, very moody, in a bad mood, or go manic. <laughs> Triggered. Same though. And I actually have the sweats as well from sitting in the yeah, car. I'm so warm. I'm so glad I took off my jumper. Uh, do you want to hear my poem? Go. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's go. A so, poem for the road. I wrote this poem in fifth class. For some context, I was 10 years old. Okay. Now, it's definitely missing a line or two, but this is what I can remember of it. And I'm fully aware I'm going to get roasted for this. But here we go. So, it's... It is what it is. In 1912, the poor Titanic went into a state of panic. It took two hours. <laughs> it took two hours for it to go down. Some people said I'm going to drown. Oh my god. 1,514 people died. Some of them going to live a new life. There you go. There you go. This is why I didn't go into poetry as a career. It is a good thing that, like, yeah, but you know what's really bad? Hang on. I just. To wanna... be fair, I think that was good for a 10 year old. No, it was very good. <laughs> for a 10 year old. I'm. I felt the shakes. I'm. People died, some of them going to live a new life. Whereas I was like, do you know if it was a hot day, if we ever had like weather that was hot enough for the water would like bubble oh, Jesus a bit. Jesus Christ, where are you going with this? I'm going with, people died, some of them deep fried. <laughs> <laughs> it's giving volcano vibes. It wasn't an iceberg, it was an underwater volcano. <laughs> We're terrible people. Anyway, on that note, I'm... Like I said, I'm really, really thinking about food now that I've mentioned it. And I might actually I'm become gonna, a cannibal. I'm going to eat the microphone. I'm a vegan, and if I don't eat soon, I might become a cannibal. So, um... Should I be nervous? I don't know. Why are you looking at my boobs? <laughs> <laughs> Not intentionally. <laughs> Please don't eat them. It's because they're big, they're meaty. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Twisted Talks, where we finish off the talk by me objectifying Tanya. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I am going to go get food, not Tanya's breasts. Um, <laughs> probably God. potatoes, rice, curry and vegan mayonnaise, because they're quick, convenient and take a couple of minutes in the microwave. In the microwave. In the microwave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
But yes, so it was lovely um, talking the ears off of all of you listeners. And hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Twisted Talks Pod. Um, and yeah, um, thanks for listening to us. Until the next time. We'll speak to you soon. Hasta luego. <laughs> Bye.